Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. This is Nancy Johnson back again with Kimberly Dowd for another segment of our Candid COVID Conversations, focusing on vaccines and some of the nuances that are certain to arise. Hi, everyone. This is Kimberly Dowd, the office managing shareholder of Littler's Orlando office. Nancy and I have previously discussed COVID vaccinations and some issues Florida employers may face, including whether they should mandate vaccinations or incentivize their employees to get vaccinated, along with other specific topics related to a unionized workforce and residential schools. Today, we'll pick up where we left off last time, discussing employer rights and obligations when it comes to employees' political speech, including actively voicing vaccination concerns or even opposition to the COVID vaccination. So before we get into that subject, though, I thought we could provide our listeners an update on some of the recent activities going on in our country with respect to COVID and with the vaccines. In the last week, the number of confirmed COVID cases has started to dramatically decrease for the first time in a while. We had been hovering at those record numbers for so long, and it it feels really good to get a little bit of good news on that. Um, especially in Florida, but we are seeing an increase in the variants. Florida continues to far outpace the rest of the country with respect to new mutant cases, and and they've changed the wording. I think they're calling them Robin variant or something, but the what, what we've heard of previously as the UK variant, it's tripled in the matter of three weeks in Florida, and, and we are far outpacing any other state in the nation. However, the good news is that the vaccine is also rolling along and and outpacing everything. Almost 3.5 million Floridians have now received at least one dose of the vaccine. I know there was some some cold weather up north that has put a wrench into the distribution temporarily, but the administration and Dr. Fauci are still hopeful that anyone who wants to get a vaccine, that's obviously within the guidelines over 16 and and, non-pregnant and the ones that are approved, will be able to get one by the end of the summer. Um, There's also been some new OSHA guidelines published somewhat recently, and and I think we're going to get into that next time, and some new CDC guidance about double masking, some recommendations about quarantining for those people who are fully vaccinated. That's just kind of a general overview. Thank you, Nancy. It certainly is helpful to update our listeners on the current COVID landscape. Although these podcasts focus on specific topics related to COVID-19, it really is important to look at the current state of affairs as things evolve. And while some of the numbers appear to be slowing, the impact of COVID-19 is still very much on employers' minds. And with respect to the topic for today and employees' political speech, Many of us may view this through the polarized lens of the last few years, which have been filled with divisive political views. Many people have a common misconception employees have a right to free speech in the workplace. While this may be true for public sector employees since the Pickering Supreme Court decision in 1968, which solidified First Amendment protections for public employees' speech involving matters of public concern, Other than in very specific circumstances that we'll discuss today, free speech simply does not apply in the private employer context. In other words, private employers are generally free to prohibit and discipline employees for discussing politics at work. Yeah, that's right. And uh, kind of the of those those uh, exceptions that you just talked about or just alluded to, there are a couple that I wanted to point out. First of all, there are some state laws, not Florida, but some other state laws that do protect employees 
from being disciplined or discharged based on political affiliation, on voting activity, lawful off-duty activities, so long as that off-duty activity does not put the employer or its brand at risk. So like I mentioned, you know, there's some states such as California or New York that may prohibit an employer's ability to take an adverse employment action against an employee as a result of the employee's outside political or even recreational activities. Florida does not have any of those laws. So employers with employees in Florida don't have to worry about that type of thing here. However, I know some of our listeners have employees in multiple states. It's not a leap from that proposition to assert that one's affiliation with the anti-vax movement is at its core political and that any action taken against an employee for failing to submit to a mandatory vaccination as a result could result in legal liability too. So those, in, you know, and those under those various state laws. So it's a good idea to just check and make sure, especially California, New York, that there aren't any other state laws that employers run up against. The biggest risk, however, for employers in dealing with this anti-vax movement or just just an employee's concerns, voiced and expressed concerns about vaccinations, would come under the National Labor Relations Act. So, you know, as you know, the Section 7 of the NLRA protects protected concerted activity. And if employees were to band together to protest mandatory vaccines or even to voice opposition to mandatory vaccines, such actions could constitute what is known as protected concerted activity. And if it does, that could insulate protesting employees from the alleged retaliatory actions, such as termination for refusing to be vaccinated. Section 7 of the NLRA protects, among other things, employees' rights to protest allegedly unsafe work rules. So... It's not a far leap. It ha- we haven't seen it tested yet in courts or in or under the the NLRB, but it's not a far leap to think that if there were a group of workers protesting and saying that these work rules, especially like a mandatory vaccination rule, would keep them unsafe if it's not, especially if it's not implemented properly, right? And Section 7 protections apply whether or not the workplace at issue is currently unionized. I know a lot of employers think, oh, NLRB, NLRA, don't have to worry about that. I'm not a union workforce. It does not matter. It still applies regardless of whether or not you're unionized. Generally speaking, there is protected concerted activity when two or more employees act together to improve their terms and conditions of employment. So just two employees talking together. There's a lot of nuances to this area of the law, but this is just sort of a general reminder. And of course, if there's any questions, can let us know anytime. We're happy to help out. Some examples of protected activity in this context that we can imagine could include protesting against a mandatory vaccination policy, like I just mentioned, or even the lack of one. You know, pr- protesting against the lack of a mandated vaccination policy, that could be protected activity. An organized office communication or flyers among coworkers concerning a vaccination mandate, even just a discussion among coworkers about the vaccine. So overall, employers need to exercise caution and consult Labor and Employment Council before taking any adverse action against employees who collectively discuss or protest a mandatory vaccination policy because such action could result in an unfair labor practice charge. So with this legal backdrop in mind, as well as the understanding that even when faced with the importance of employees discussing and exchanging ideas regarding COVID-19 vaccinations, employers also have a responsibility to ensure a safe, respectful, and harassment-free workplace. Employers must decide how to handle an employee's political speech, including whether to discipline an employee for voicing concerns regarding vaccinations or opposing them. 
a good place to start for an, any employer assessing whether an employee's political speech is an inappropriate or is inappropriate, excuse me, is existing employment policies governing equal employment and a harassment-free workplace. Employers should treat political speech like any other speech in the workplace and focus on disruption rather than politics. Speech that is critical of the employer but is made for mutual aid or protection and may be considered concerted activity like you talked about and therefore protected under the NLRA may still result in discipline if that speech is profane, defamatory, or malicious against the company or its managers. Speech that is disruptive or volative of employer policies may result in coaching or corrective action, even if it overlaps with the stance of one political party or candidate or the other, and even if it touches upon working conditions. In addition to profane or malicious speech or communications, examples of such speech may be promotion or support of racial discrimination, antagonism towards immigrants, a particular sexual orientation or gender expression, sexist or sexual speech or communications, threatening speech or communications. As recent discourse has shown us, political speech often overlaps with legally protected classifications. There's no exhaustive list, so the overall question an employer should ask is whether the speech is disruptive or offensive, or does it contradict or undermine the employer's brand based on its content, as opposed to its alignment with one specific ideology. So, Kim, as you know, um, as and as I mentioned, you know, we have not seen a lot of this sort of tested in terms of bringing actions against employers or any type of, you know, protests, things like that, that have that have made, really made waves and, and led to any liability for employers that we're aware of. But, you know, this isn't a new landscape either. You know, we, we've talked, we've seen this, we've talked about this in terms of, you know, the political election season where political speech is, is needs to be protected, but, you know, it cannot disrupt the workplace. Certainly, given where we are with COVID, the vaccinations, and some strong feelings on both sides of it, employers are going to have to take some proactive steps to prevent workplace disruption from this. So I thought I'd just go over some additional tips that employers can keep in mind generally with respect to this. And some some general stuff just from past experience is to consider reminding employees of the employer's policies on diversity on equal opportunity, harassment-free workplace, and unlawful activity. You know, we often talk about harassment-free workplace, and and you know as well as I do in terms of employment law, harassment has its own term, whereas employees often think about it as, you know, oh, this person's just being mean to me. That's not really harassment. But the more that you talk to your employees about, hey, we've got a, a policy of respecting each other, not harassing each other, and, and keeping things in the workplace, you know, just, just on, a, on an equal level, no matter what your views are, the better it might be overall to keep sort of the discourse down. Certainly, employers can encourage their folks to review all of their existing policies with respect to harassment, EEO, um, remind employees that their speech and behavior may reflect upon the employer, instruct that civility and respect in any conversation is always appropriate, as I was just mentioning. For managers who are not subject to labor law protection, so non-unionized workplace, and who can, who can be considered acting and speaking on behalf of the employers, though, they can be more actively instructed on what behavior they exhibit is appropriate. So, for example, managers may also be instructed to avoid and engaging in any political speech or speech that could be considered political while they're performing work for the employer. Managers can be uh, instructed to avoid engaging in conversations with employees at all about politics or about vaccinations. 
Managers should be reminded not to overreact to short discussions among employees, um, but also to not permit significant distractions during working time, just to redirect their employees, right? And they can be reminded to use progressive steps, beginning with simple reminders and coachings to ensure compliance with company policy. These are all just good tips in general, but in this in this moment and in this movement, seem like like good reminders for employers. Also, with respect specifically to vaccines, some additional tips to keep in mind that, that we've heard from others. There's this concept out there that there's like anti-vaxxers, and there's definitely an anti-vaxxing movement out there. But not everybody who is worried about the COVID vaccine is an anti-vaxxer. And it's, it's easy to think, oh, you know, I'm going to get all this discourse. I'm going to get pushback from people who just think vaccines are evil generally. A lot of what we we're hearing from our survey and from other things is that some people are just unsure because the science isn't out there. But COVID is so new, nobody really, really knows. But there's a lot of good information out there. So, you know, it's not something like, oh, I'm never going to change the mind of an anti-vaxxer. But you might be able to, to help people learn, right? So keep cognitive biases in mind. Call out the distortions in the science. You know, actually educate people on science. There is scientific evidence that's starting to come about. Certainly nothing is, is proven. This has been around for a year and a half. But there's some science out there that can help explain things to people. Employers can work with confirmation bias instead of against it, explaining how herd immunity actually works. It might increase, and it's been proven to increase people's willingness to vaccinate if people actually understand it instead of just hearing buzzwords all the time. Um, they can think about retelling people's stories, put it in real life context for their employees to actually understand how this might affect them and their families and their communities and their kids. It's also something employers can can sort of change the default, change the lens that they look look at things through. States that make it harder to get exemptions to vaccinations for school attendance have significantly fewer opt-outs than those that don't. It's kind of an interesting concept. If you just sort of start from the default that, hey, we should have mandatory vaccines or we should have vaccines in most cases because that's a good goal, it, it really does kind of sway the full public opinion about it. Same is true in Canada. They require parents to actually take an educational class before allowing opt-out of vaccinations, and their opt-out rate is far lower than in the U.S., one last thing employers can do is tailor their message to build trust. People who feel respected are, are going to listen better. It's that simple. There's a lot of great resources out there to be used for teaching once you get people to start listening to you. So those are just some, some good overall tips that I think, you know, might help some employers in, in dealing and navigating here. And, and you know, yes, anti-vaccine movement can be concerning. And, and it seems like a lot of employers we've heard are really concerned about this. I think if we just, you know, digest it and it's there, just deal with it. We've got, we're going to have, they're going to have to confront it eventually. So some of these tips might help them navigate the landscape. So let's get back to, you started talking first about private employers and free speech, right? And you mentioned public employers. What about public employers? First, can you kind of explain to us what a public employer is? Obviously the federal government, we all get that, but what about like governmental entities, special district, what about government contractors and what's sort of their role in this? Sure, absolutely. Generally speaking, a public employer is a federal or state or state-related governmental agency, such as any branch or office of federal, state, county, or municipal government, and includes state-funded colleges and universities. All other employers are considered private employers. Government contractors should review their contracts to confirm whether there are any clauses within them requiring certain treatment of employees that may make those government contractors fall within the definition of public employer. 
public employers face the challenge of possible First Amendment protections. So if a public employer wants to prohibit or limit an employee's political speech, then that speech must be examined with regard to content, form, and the context in which it's made. There's no clear test precisely describing the kind of speech a public employer may restrain or punish after it's been made. But generally speaking, the question will be whether the employee spoke or would be speaking in the capacity of a citizen regarding a matter of public concern, as opposed to advancing only a personal interest. When an employee speaks as a citizen regarding a matter of public concern, the employee's speech is likely protected, whereas speaking only to promote one's own personal interests probably won't be. However, even when speaking regarding public concerns, there are limits in the context of government employment on what employees may say. Courts evaluate such speech by balancing the employee's interests in speaking freely against the employer's interest in restricting free speech. A public employer must have a compelling reason to restrict an employee's constitutionally protected speech regarding public concerns. Okay, thanks. I think that's a good overview generally for some political speech, some concerns about, you know, speaking out in the workplace. If you're an employer listening to this that cannot survive with an all remote workforce, struggling with you're you're bound to be struggling with a balance to desire um, balance your desire to ensure the safety of your employees with the understanding of being tolerant of different views about the vaccine. There's a lot of resources out there to assist you in communicating effectively about vaccines to your workforce. The CDC has some great tools, some kits, some they have posters available. They also have, have just a list of resources. I think the CDC is a great place to start. The state of Florida has some some stuff on their websites, obviously. And if anybody has any, you know, concerns, they can contact us and we can get them in touch with the right things too. So I hope that was helpful for everyone today. As always, should those listening have any additional questions on this topic or any other related topics, you can find Kimberly and I at Littler Mendelssohn. You can email us at najohnson at littler, L-I-T-T-L-E-R.com or at kdowd, D-O-U-D at littler.com. We're going to continue to bring our candid analysis your way to help everyone keep moving forward. Remember, it's a new day in America. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.